1: Hello and welcome to The Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay.
0: And I'm Mark DeVoe and we'd like to say a very special thank you to all of you listening today and especially those of you that are supporting this podcast with your patronage. uh, We'd like to thank today our patron of the week is... Mr. John Day. Thank you very much, John, you, John, for supporting us. And if you would like to be like John, pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward
1: slash support. Mr. State, how are you, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? Now, first question, because we've, we've, we've had two, coming off the back of two very special episodes, Linwood Barkley and Sarah Moorhead. Oh. Uh, it's been a di- more about Sarah later at the end, because she's been hitting all sorts of bestseller things on Kindle and what have you. Um, but the thing, question I haven't asked for a couple of weeks how is the nonfiction project coming along? Oh,
0: Mark, the nonfiction project is, it's got a life of its own. It's its like you start off in a boat and an oar and you're like, I can't do this across the channel. And then someone gives you a sail, or you get like an idea that becomes your sail, And it is, I really feel like there's momentum. Except, of course, the last couple of weeks has been massively busy with people joining the academy if for yes. the September intake. So the writing took a little bit of a, of a of a hit on that, but actually the writing might have taken a little hit, but man, the cogs are the cogs are worrying. The cogs are worrying. I finished actually filled my first entire notebook of 150 pages. These are just ideas that I'm putting down. So yeah, very excited. And I decided to up the stakes because I realized that you know everyone does you go out the gate, you're really excited about your new writing project. Everyone's like, you're bashed out a thousand words in the first day. And then of course, you know, oh, this isn't, you know, as reality as I, kicks in, reality yes. kicks in. Everyone <laughs> listening who's ever tried to write a book knows exactly what I'm talking about. So what I'm going to do as an additional incentive. Cause I said, I'll take a year <laughs> for anyone who hadn't heard, I've announced I'm going to tr- write this nonfiction book in a year, but I'm upping the stakes because I've decided <laughs> to put it out there to our listeners i'm looking for a merry band of non-fiction writers to join me on this journey in the academy so if people are interested in writing a non-fiction book we're going to do this together not co-write it obviously that would be ridiculous but if you're writing if you've always wanted to write a non-fiction book or you're partly writing one you're part way through a project i'm going to be doing kind of an exclusive um like academy non-fiction um program over the next 12 months um and the crazy thing is mark is that people get the life coaching obviously from me but we've got kate harrison who is a million seller Ooh. non-fiction writer who's going to be coaching the non-fiction writers in this journey so if people are interested you know where to go academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and uh, it's gonna be an interesting experiment i mean i
1: think safety in numbers right <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great kate is ace as well she's absolutely brilliant. she's yeah. been on the podcast a couple of i'll stick some links in the show notes folks so you can check that out she really knows her stuff she's terrific used to work in tv of course as well she did um, and she yeah. and
0: the interesting about kate is that not only is she in a she's written books about pitching um mm. she's 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 she had an incredible best-selling non-fiction series but she's also a fiction writer and a very successful yeah. one as well so she she's got a lot of knowledge across both areas, but she's great yeah but she's great we interviewed her a couple of times and she was she was fantastic so yeah Brilliant. it's going to be a lot of fun but I, i'm going to need everyone's support you know once we get into that you know I, the muddy middles hit a bit too early for me i'm nowhere near the middle Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how about you mark how how's it's been a it's i mean it's a busy time for you
1: as well isn't it yeah, well, <laughs> before we get to the good stuff, I discovered that um, we've been hinting for a while, for quite a while, a couple of years. that I'm tentatively involved in a big TV show. Well, that big TV show was Nautilus, which was about the young Captain Nemo, and it was going to be on Disney Plus at the end of this year, and they got a bloody dropped it. <laughs> so. No. so it's like and i found this out like on a sunday night just scrolling through you know the trades and i found it on deadline and i was like what what, what? so anyway i'm i'm, I'm not going to talk about that now but if you're interested we'll pop that in extended so we can yeah we can you want to hear this that. story and i could so... have a proper red <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I won't lawyers stand down um, stand down. but here's the good stuff here's the good stuff i got a book out Hey! So, uh, oh, by right. the time you listen to this, uh, The Holy King will be in stores. It's technically out 14th of September. I've had stock for a couple of weeks, mate. I've been flogging them like Del Boy. Uh, been <laughs> <laughs> They've been go, going out the door, You've been driving around, around your local village and you're robbing Reliant,
0: have you? Exactly, yeah, yeah.
1: Roll up, stroll up. <laughs> um, it's been great because what's lovely is... I've been getting great feedback already. And a big thank you to everyone who's already left a review on NetGalley and Goodreads. People are loving it already. Um, it's it's just been wonderful. Absolute joy. People are loving the the cover by the wonderful Harry Goldhawk. Uh, this is the fourth in the Wishes of Woodville series, or, and but works as a standalone. But if you want to come along and see me, in The flesh, uh, we're gonna have a book launch. I, I will Not be clothed, literally. okay, good, clothed, good. just uh, to fully clothed. <laughs> uh, we got a book launch on Tuesday, 26th of September at 6 30 pm at Waterstones Canterbury. I'll stick a wow. um thing in the show notes the one thing as well. Uh, if you come to the book launch and you hand me a copy to sign, doesn't matter if you bought it on the night or you bought it beforehand, if you hand me a copy to sign. Free bar of chocolate, branded Holly <gasps> King chocolate. Okay, I'm right. flying over, Mark. I'm flying Wild over. Sto- Wild stocks last one per customer. I got about forty of them. So, <laughs> so yeah, so come along to that. If it's you can't be- wait, if you can't wait that long. Sorry, I, I, Go uh, I'm going to be at Fantasy Con, which is 15th to 17th of September in Birmingham. Uh, although both my bits are on the Friday are Friday night, so I'm doing a reading at 6pm. And then 7pm, I'm, do- I'm moderating a panel on screenwriting uh, with uh, writers Mark Morris, uh, Philip Fracassi, and friends of the podcast, Gavin G. Smith and Queeve McDonnell. And that oh, should be no lots way. of fun. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. So, so my bits on the Friday, I, I will be around on the Friday and the Saturday. Sunday morning, don't know, it's Birmingham, I have to drive back, I might disappear a bit early, but we'll see.
0: Yes. Brilliant. Well, best of luck with your launch and if anyone is, um, if anyone's ever been at this place, I mean, every single book launch is like a new baby and it's, it's like, you never get bored of it. They're all as special as all your other kids. So, support Mark, go out and buy The Holly King, uh, get out there. And actually, we should say this, shouldn't we? The more people that buy a book on the first day of launch the more it kicks in the
1: algorithms on... Do you think... I, the, I, opinion is... Dev- I prefer the steady trickle, actually. I think Amazon likes the steady trickle. I'm very um, so a, iffy about the first day spike because once okay. it tails off, you can, you will get those chart positions, but then it tails off and Amazon's algorithms go, oh, everyone's lost interest and they bury you. Ah, actually, the steady trickle so the really the steady build. The other thing I meant to mention is uh, in the USA and Canada... Uh, I've gone wide. So it used to be only Kindle, but I'm now on Apple and Kobo and all the other suppliers out in uh, the USA and Canada. So, uh, And that's audio as well. So ebook and audio, Ooh. you'll find me there. So, but wow. if you want a signed copy, got to come to yeah. me, baby. Drop was, me a line.
0: I was going to say, uh, Link this in the show notes. 40 <laughs> bars of chocolate, it's got the feeling of one of those Black Fridays at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> i wish you know what i mean people camping outside waterstones the night before yeah, yeah. and everyone getting in there and that 41st person like kicking off with their trolley yeah it could be a mess mark it could be it, it could, could be have, it could, be, could, could have riot, fire big time, Riot in a bookstore yeah. that would be a first wouldn't it <laughs> love it well it, i've had if it's like one of the chocolate bars that you very kindly sent me uh, a number of times actually when you've released your books i've got to say to everyone. The, 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 the taste of the chocolate is worth the, the cost of the book alone.
1: So the book's, the book's a bonus, right? I mean, so... Well, I will, I will say, um, Ian W. Sainsbury, I sent him a copy because he reads my first draft and he gives me yeah. really good feedback. So I sent yeah. him a copy of the book. There is one on its way to Canada to you, Mr. D. But <gasps> as with Ian, there's no chocolate this time. Ian put up a very funny video on Facebook going... It's no chocolate you know there will be a reckoning <laughs> you see so, once I'll you have set to the avoid expectation. for a while yeah. <laughs> once you set the expectation right love it
0: oh that's great stuff brilliant well let's dive in we've got uh i mean talking of talking of book launches and new books our special guest today i believe has a
1: book coming out around about now Yes, Harriet Moncaster is an award-winning author and illustrator. Her Isadora Moon books have sold over two million copies worldwide. And in 2020, she also published Bad and Glittering, the first part in her middle grade series featuring a character called Victoria Stitch. And now she's back with the latest Victoria Stitch book, Dark and Sparkling. And we discuss how she started working on Victoria Stitch when she was just 19. Overcoming the fear of imperfection and why it's perfectly normal for grown ups to play with dolls and toys.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. So let's dive in and listen to Mark chatting with the absolutely phenomenal
1: Harriet Muncaster. Harriet Muncaster, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today?
2: I'm good, thank you. And thank you so much for having me on today
1: our oh, pleasure. And this it's such a joy to have you on because, we, one, you've got a new book coming, but you've had this extraordinary career. And folks, I'm going to be making a reference to uh, a blog post uh, that Harriet put about creating one of her characters, which we're going to focus on today, because I think there is so much to learn from this. Even if you're not a children's illustrating kind of guru, you know, you just want to write stories and create worlds. There's so much to learn from this. But you've got a new Victoria Stitch book coming, Dark and Special sparkling tell us about that that wonderful new book
2: okay so victoria stitch this is the third victoria stitch book uh in the trilogy and um that yes this is coming in september um and i'm really excited about it because victoria stitch is, i am so super passionate about victoria stitch and my victoria stitch world um yeah so she is a a whiskling Um, and whistlings are creatures that are no taller than five uh five inches and they live in a magical place called Whistlingwood. wood um and they're born from crystals and if you're born from a diamond it means you're a royal and victoria stitch and her twin sister were born from a diamond but it had a a black streak in it uh, as an impurity uh which wasn't actually, but it meant they were relegated to live normal whistling lives, which Victoria Stitch was incredibly angry about. (laughs) It's all about her um, striving to become queen basically.
1: Fantastic, and this is because um, your previous series, uh, the Isadora Moon, the Mirabelle, the Emerald series, which are all in that world of Isadora Moon, they are aimed at slightly younger readers, I believe. This is this is a middle grade book, isn't it? What 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 else is different about Victoria Stitch compared to those those books?
2: Yeah, this is a, my Victoria Stitch world is a completely different universe mm-hmm. um, to Isadora Moon and they are for nine to 12 sort of technically that's what they're aimed at so it's quite quite a jump up from Isadora I think you wouldn't actually read Isadora probably and then move straight on to Victoria Stitch actually there's there's like a bit of a gap mm. between them um, but yeah yeah it was a whole different beast writing a middle grade compared to um the young fiction the isadora means
1: well let's talk about that because this is this victoria stitch has been a long time coming and folks like i said i'm going to put a link in the show notes so you can check it out but if you go to harriet harriet's website there's a blog post there called creating victoria stitch and it takes you through the whole process of it and i believe i mean i think this has taken longer than any other series you've done you you started working on this when you were when you were 19 Tell, tell us where victoria came from
2: yeah, I started working I created Victoria Stitch when I was on my art foundation course. Um so she's always been there in the background. Um I've always always known I really wanted to get a book published about Victoria Stitch. Um so yeah, she's always been in the background and over the years she's developed um you know, in the background while I was doing other stuff, she's kind of always been developing. Um, There was one point when I was drawing her all in black and pink, um, and that's actually what inspired Isadora Moon. uh, Well, the visual for Isadora. So yeah, Victoria Stitch inspired Isadora Moon in a way. And Victoria Stitch also, she used to have Pink Rabbit. So Pink Rabbit is Isadora Moon. Isadora Moon's little sidekick, but actually he started out as Victoria Stitches. Um, so yeah, they they are sort of interlinked, but they are they're completely different worlds.
1: And what was it about this character that made you stick to it for so long? Because as you say, you know Isadora Moon came along, and you got that wonderful sort of clash of the dark and the gothic and the bright pink which lends itself so brilliantly to younger readers. You know, my, I mean, my daughter's in her 20s now, but I'm, I, I know she, she, you know, that sort of thing, whoosh, immediately attracted to it. Um, that kind of almost Tim Burton-esque kind of uh, aesthetic to it as well. But what is it about Victoria Stitch that, A, made you think, I'm not ready to do this yet, and B, made you keep it on the back burner and didn't just abandon it and, and get on with something else?
2: I think, um, well, I think it's because the first Victoria Stitch book I did was a picture book, but Victoria Stitch doesn't actually lend herself well to picture books. It was sort of it was quite a dark, um, yeah, gothic sort of picture book um, uh, which I created on my art foundation course, and it's not something that would actually be published as a picture book. Um, sort of commercially anyway so I feel like I had to find the right um, what's the word the right sort of tone level of hmm?
1: tone maybe
2: yeah and level of sort of writing for her Um, and over the years the world that she comes from developed um and was sort of building and building because when I first created her she was actually just sort of some random naughty little fairy type character um and then over the years I started to think about well where she actually came from and um yeah and she she developed into a whistling um which are creatures I've invented not she was a, a fairy I was obsessed with fairies when I was <laughs> when I was younger so um yeah. So I might have lost the thread of the question
1: now. No, no, that's 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 all cool. It's it Because I know what this is like. I've I've got a project that I spent about 12 years working on and it was this thing. That it's always in the back. It becomes an obsession. It becomes something that you kind of feel that if you rush into it, you might get it wrong. But you have to let it simmer in the background. You have to do other things and then come back to it. Because in some ways, it being your passion project, you, you just want to get it right. Does that does that feel does that feel right to you?
2: yes that's actually exactly right I think I didn't dare to start it because I it was just so important to me I wanted to get it perfect that I I I didn't start it for ages I I actually was surprised that I started it when I did um because I was I was actually thinking oh it's probably something I'll do in in later life when I'm ready to do it and yeah uh, you know and then I'll have the skills to make it you know exactly how I want but but actually what happened was I think I'd done six Isadora Moon books. And at that point, my publisher, Oxford University Press, said, my editor said, um, actually, we don't uh need any more Isadora Moon at the moment. Do you have any other ideas? And I said, I I don't actually. Um, I mean, I've only I've just got this one idea, but it's you know, it's a whole different thing and it's a it's a big book and a big all this, you know, world I want to create, and she was like, "Oh well, write that then." And I was like, "I was sort of thinking, I can't, I can't just, I can't just start writing that." But she basically gave me the nudge to be just be like, just write it, just do it if that's what you want to do. Brilliant. Yeah. So that's how it actually started.
1: And that that thing of wanting it to be perfect, I think, as you know writers and illustrators i don't think we ever make anything that is absolutely perfect because perfection is kind of it's a bit scary it's a bit intimidating so how were you having been given that nudge by a publisher were you worried about getting it wrong was that and how did you overcome that kind of fear
2: i think i yeah, I think I was worried about getting it wrong, but I think over the years I've kind of learned that if you don't start something, it sort of never actually really develops. And if you if you start it, then it starts becoming something that you didn't even realise it necessarily was gonna become. Yeah. A sort of. I, I think if you s- start something, then um, more ideas come. Yeah. You see why? I mean? You're sort of exercising the muscle, and actually, it makes it yeah more and more. I I'm not articulating this very well, but I know what I mean.
1: <laughs> but, I, know, um, I know what you mean. It's it's that thing is it's it's kind of perfect in your head, but there's a fear that if you start putting it on paper, you get it wrong. But actually, what you discover is there are more possibilities there than than you could have dreamed of when it was yes. just in your head. That kind of thing
2: stuff starts appearing that you yeah. didn't yeah if you if you just start. Um, but I mean, I will say I, I do look back at all my books. I, you know, there'll be something in the, probably a few things that I'll be like, oh, I wish I'd done that differently now. And I wish <laughs> I'd, you know, that illustration yeah, or, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, I've actually improved yeah. now. And um, yeah, but I I, you kind of, I I think I've kind of learned to just accept that now and just be like, well, I wouldn't have got to book three if I hadn't started book one. Um, exactly. And I'm really pleased with my book three illustrations. So I wouldn't have got there though if I hadn't done book one. Even though now there's some things in book one which I should have done differently, sort of
1: thing. <laughs> yep, that's the life, though, isn't it? So uh, yeah. let's let's talk about the world building because you mentioned the Whisklings, which is a brilliant name, and you've moved on from kind of fairy and you've created your own rules, your own world. Does that in some way? It's in some ways it's harder because you're not taking a, a concept that people already know, say fairies or vampires or whatever and you're giving them a new name, but does that in some way give you more freedom as well to to sort of create your own rules in your own world?
2: I think so, yeah. It, t- it took me so long to come up with that whistling name because right. it's so hard to think of like a new name. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think it does does give you more freedom if, if you're not trapped in by sort of something that already exists. If they've just been fairies, then I think... Yeah, people already have preconceived ideas of fairies, so yeah, I think it does give you a bit more.
1: Yeah, because there are rules and conventions that you have to follow with fairies and vampires generally, but if you've got whisklings, you can you can make up your own rules and and it's your thing as well. It's suddenly you know unique to you, which must be really satisfying.
2: Yeah, I think that was the thing. I have always wanted to create something that was kind of very much my my own world. Um, yeah, and I'd be happy to write books like In Whiskingwood. to be honest, for the rest of my, you know, and obviously Isadora World and all that. But, you know, I don't necessarily actually feel the need to branch out anymore into any other worlds or anything. I'm happy to just develop that one world now, actually.
1: Brilliant. Because you mentioned that this is a trilogy. Does that mean Victoria's story is wrapped up or do you see this as ongoing? Will there be new adventures or side adventures? Because I know that the Mirabelle and Emerald series sort of came out of Isadora Moon, didn't they? So is that the plan with Victoria Stitch sort of, you know, taking other characters and working with them? Or can you not talk about that yet?
2: Um, Well, so I finished, yeah, I've done the trilogy now and I would love to do more books, middle grade books in the Victoria Stitch world. I do have... An idea for a book four, but I'm not actually working on that at the moment. Um, I actually I did actually need a little break after I'd finished the three because it was so intense doing um, I think I was doing seven young fictions in the Isadora Moon World and then also Victoria Stitch on top for about three years. Well no, is it I don't know how long, but it, it was very intense. And I think I just needed a little breather after that so um but I do have loads of ideas there's nothing official yet but I 100% definitely want to do more in Whistling World maybe even a younger maybe even something between Isadora and uh Victoria Stitch maybe age group but set in Whistling Wood um but yeah i've got lo- loads of ideas still for me.
1: fantastic and you mentioned earlier that you you know you're moving from young readers to middle grade what were the big challenges there in in, in that adapting to that new writing style
2: it's just so much longer i think <laughs> uh, well no it's not just that it's um it's a more complicated like you've got to have more complicated story obviously and uh you can go much deeper with the characters which was really satisfying like I really enjoy doing that um but yeah, I think it's definitely a, a lot more to think about I I did find it quite difficult writing book one because I'd never done anything you know mm. I'd never written one that long before um so yeah it was yeah it was very very different.
1: can can you recall the word count?
2: So my first draft was something like hundred and ten thousand words. I was like, "This is an epic," but um, <laughs> it's not. Um, um, yeah, the, the, I think it's fi- the, the actual book's maybe forty k. So it cut right. down a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I actually really enjoyed cutting it down. Okay. I quite like doing that, like editing all the words out.
1: <laughs> was it you just realize- a bit? Sorry, go. go. You,
2: you realize how much stuff you don't actually need. When
1: you actually do that. I was going to ask, what did you cut? But yeah, excellent stuff. Well, let's go back to where it all started. And I believe for you, you were inspired by uh, an author and illustrator visiting your school. Was it James Mayhew? Tell us about that.
2: Yeah. So when I was, it was actually when I was about 15. um, And in my head, the story is that he visited my school. And I think it's just easier to say that when I'm on school visits. I forget that what actually happened was, is that James, at the time, James Mayhew lived in um, the same town as my school. And he had, there was an exhibition of his work on at the local um, gallery or museum. And our art teachers took us to see it just um, in an art lesson, we walked into town to look at it. And I really connected, I love his work, but I really connected, it really resonated with me, that kind of artwork compared to you know the sort of fine artists and things mm. that you always learn about at school and um my teacher organized for me to actually go and interview him in his house uh, which was amazing and it, James May he was so kind and he gave up you know his time to talk to me and show me his work and I did a project on his work um but that was the first time I realized that being an author and an illustrator was a job that you could actually do. Like I had no idea before then. Um, So yeah, that was how it started. And as soon as I realized that I decided, I knew that was where I wanted to channel sort of my creativity. Like Because before that I sort of thought, oh, you know, if you want to do art, you do art at uni, you do like fine art or whatever. Um, I had no idea you could specialize like that. And then I knew that was what I wanted to do.
1: Brilliant. And didn't, am I right in thinking he actually became your tutor at one point?
2: Yes, he did. Yes. Um, When I did my MA in children's book illustration later on, he, at Cambridge, he was my um, tutor. Yeah. Which was amazing.
1: Absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. Now you mentioned that this happened roughly when you were about 15, which is always a big turning point. I remember when I was 15, you know, we talk about options and making big life decisions and, and setting off on a course. Now I also saw you sort of confess and I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of because I sort of did it too. But you were still playing with dolls when you were 15 and your parents were a bit worried and I was still sort of playing with action figures at that age. <laughs> and I think I think uh, I think this is something that creative people, you know, we do have this they say arrested development, but I like to think we still have a very active imagination. But can you can you talk about that and and sort of the concerns that your parents might have had?
2: Yeah. I mean, actually, my teacher sometimes, I think a parent me would say, you know, Harriet needs to grow up. um, (laughs) Because, yeah, I was. I would play. I would always have a little mascot character that I would like to take around with me and take photos of and make little things for. And actually, that was one thing that inspired my whistling world. Actually, I I did start out by having a little whistling mascot character but um who actually still lives in my uh castle doll's house just there but um <laughs> yeah I was very much very much still p- slow to mature and still playing with uh toys basically when I was I mean to be fair I, I still do that actually I'm not yeah. gonna lie
1: no, me neither. I mean, when we're recording this, uh listeners, I've just been to a convention where my son and I just walked around looking at all the toys and the Lego. It was the greatest time ever. So I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And then I want to talk about as well, you went on to do work experience, I believe, for Egmont, and you came up with something there that, that became something quite special.
2: It's um the coin. Yes. Um, yes, I did. I did work experience in the summer holidays. I think it was when I was on my MA maybe, um, yeah, at Egmont and also Macmillan as well. And that was really interesting. Um, because I was doing the work experience as the designer. Um, I think. Um, and I, I remember as I was doing that, sort of realizing this isn't what I want, to, like I don't want, I want to be the illustrator yeah. or, or the author. Not, um just because that's the way my my brain works and like I knew that's I, I wasn't good at good at the um job I was meant to be doing. I think I was actually an awful <laughs> work experience. But anyway, um yes, I created the Egmont coin, which they put in the front. I don't know they don't because they're far shore now, aren't they? So they don't have that. But they put it in the front of um every I think chapter book or something. Yeah. Um yeah. yeah. Um but it was a little sketch I'd done and they saw it and and, yeah, they wanted to use it. So, yeah, I got commissioned for that. And, yeah, I can't 100% exactly remember it all because it feels like quite a long time ago. But, <laughs> yeah, I did do the Eggmont coin, which was really cool.
1: That must have been amazing, though, just to see that in the cover of a book.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, it was in the inside, right. in the inside pages. I think there was just a little bit, um, you know, where they have all the info just in the yep. first like, page or two. Um, a little bit about how I think it was how Eggmont was founded or something. It was a hundred, it, it was
1: a centenary, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that
2: was pretty cool. Yeah,
1: brilliant. Absolutely, that might brilliant. have
2: been my first bit of published work. I think,
1: fantastic, brilliant. Well, look, we're obsessed with <clears throat> writing habits, uh, on this podcast and and workspace as well and also again on your blog i saw pictures of your workspace which looked very neat and tidy though i believe you tidied it up for the purposes of the photograph but uh how particularly as an illustrator as well as an author how do you divide up your workspace between the illustrating bit and the author bit or or do the two things kind of merge
2: um so well where i'm sitting now is my mac which is where i would do all my writing Mm -hmm. um and then just over there against the wall is mm-hmm. <clears throat> my desk where is all my painting stuff. Right. Um, so that's where I'll sit over there when I'm doing drawing um, and then I'll sit here when I'm doing writing. And it just depends what I've got to do that day, basically.
1: Brilliant. And is it always the visuals that that come first that inspire the words for you?
2: I think I'm very character-driven. So I, if I'm going to write about a character, I always have to have my character in mind first um, and I'll always know what they look like. Um, So I will always have drawn the character first, I think, or I'll have a very strong idea of what they look like. Then I might write a story about them. um, And then then I would go back and illustrate the actual story. So I would say it would always start with a visual for me.
1: Okay. And where does the when does the world building come in once you've got your character are you building the world around them or is it evolving as you write
2: i think it depends so with isadora moon i think i specifically wanted to create a world all in black and pink mm-hmm. i think that was like actually a real driving force of of creating isadora moon was the fact i wanted to do black i love black and pink um and i just i just love it together i really wanted to do a world so i thought oh. Uh, a vampire and a fairy would be the sort of perfect mix of yeah. like, gothic and fairy um sparkly pink. So that was very much driven, I think, by the world. Um yeah, I think Victoria Stitch was probably more driven by character and then I created a world around her, I think.
1: Fantastic. And are you Drawing every day, writing every day, or like you said, you were taking a break after an intense period, but are you still sort of keeping your hand in every day?
2: Yeah. So when I say taking a break, I'm taking a break from Victoria's Stitch, but I'm uh, doing a middle grade basically, right. but I am still writing all of the Isadora, Emerald, and Mirabelle. So I'm doing a lot of writing at the moment um, because I'm doing those. Uh, but I have been working on new ideas. So I have been doing some writing for that and some drawings. Um I'm trying to keep my yeah, trying to practice my drawing because I realize I, I do so much writing nowadays. Um and it's that's funny because I started as more of an illustrator and now I feel like I'm more of a I seem to do more writing nowadays. So yeah, I wanna I wanna work on my illustration a bit more
1: it's amazing to hear you say that that's like hearing you know um musicians saying i still have to practice my skills i mean you you do have to keep your hand in don't you it's not one of these things well i've learned that now you have to keep developing and and challenging yourself as an artist don't you
2: oh yeah definitely i think so anyway i definitely do (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) fantastic well look this all sounds amazing folks uh victoria stitch dark and sparkling and the first books bad and glittering free and famous those are out there and there's going to be more to come as well and as i said i will put a link in the show notes so you can check out how victoria stitch evolved as a character is absolutely fascinating it's inspirational stuff Harriet, thanks so much for speaking to us today and hope to speak to you again very soon
2: Well, thank you so much for having me Yeah, it's been really nice
1: gosh i tell you
0: what two million books i mean
2: they always say that you'd start
0: writing children's books and you you got this dream. Every It happens to every parent when you're sitting there reading books every night and you start thinking. And then like me, I started kind of making up stories. We all do that, don't we? We kind of like, you know, I can do better than this. And you start making up stories and then the kids start asking you for the stories every night of the character you make up. And then you start thinking, maybe, maybe I could uh, write a book series. And then what happens is, you start writing a children's book and then everyone tells you, oh, children's books, most com- competitive market. It's so <laughs> few of them. Made. And then you hear stories like Harriet, two million books. And you just think, hmm,
1: what I, am I going to listen <laughs> yeah. to? What I love about these books as well, though, is as I, I sort of said early on, my my daughter, when she was about 11, you know, 12 would have loved these, that yeah. whole thing. It's a little bit Wednesday Adams. It's pink and black. It's a bit Gothic. It's a bit weird, hmm. which people will tell you, oh, that might be a bit niche. But as we've discovered time and time again, niche yeah. is the new big. If you niche can find big. your tribe, there are going to be girls all over, and boys all over yeah. the world who are going to look at those illustrations and go, oh, that's for me. I love. It's weird, like me. I love that. Give me more.
0: Honestly, I think nowadays as well, I think kids are drawn more to that kind of material. I mean, the amount of kids now... I've got my finger on the pulse, Mark, because, you know, I've got a lot <laughs> stuff. Um, anime. Anime. Yeah, yeah. And not just... I mean, and, and there's so... And it's dark. Mm. Dark, dark, dark. Demon... What's that one? Demon Slayer. Nice little name for... But, like, my my daughter, when she was, like, nine or ten... She's like into Demon Slayer. And I was thinking, what was I what was I like watching or reading when I was nine or ten? It was kind of like Rupert the Bear. Rupert the Bear. I'll I,
1: I tell you what, Rupert the Bear is seriously weird. If you have you, you know, go back and read it. Lots of folk horror elements in Rupert the Bear is is very, very strange yeah. indeed. So I think I think kids
0: that kids are kids are definitely attracted to things that aren't mainstream. Yeah. Um, that are a bit like you say, gothic, gothic-y- a bit scary I mean it goes back to the Grimm's Tales doesn't it I mean all of those yeah. when you actually like go back to the
1: the fairy tales they were like, like yeah you know, and but Disney I th- even I mean I, I think the lesson is is just because you think it's not mainstream just because you think hang on I'm I'm a bit different I the things that I like no one else seems to like kind of thing you, out of 8 billion people in the world there's going to be lots of people who like your stuff you know so don't try and please everyone, just be true to your own self and write something that you're passionate about. And you are going to find, you know, that readership eventually.
0: Mm. Now, it sounds, it sounds very interesting because we talked, this is a subject that seems to be hot potatoes right now. It's come up a lot. We, I was even coaching about it in the academy the other day, perfectionism. And Harriet mentioned about this as well. And, and, and it's interesting because the one thing I was coaching on was this idea that perfectionism doesn't exist. Like there's no such thing as perfect doesn't you can write the per, you think you can write the perfect book but i promise you once you publish it you will find one word at least one word you can change to make it better and so and so and so right goes on and on but the problem i have with perfectionism is when it's the killer of dreams when it stops people you from actually yeah. going for it because and i i think I, I don't know if i've mentioned this story many years ago on the podcast but it's worth repeating and we got a bit of a music theme going through today's podcast as well but um I remember once a friend of mine, he was a phenomenal guitarist, like one of these wonder kids, you know, could do amazing things with guitars. And he entered the Guitarist of the Year competition, you know, those kind of rock magazines you get in W. Smith and like, yeah. And he entered Guitarist of the Year one year and won it at like age 18 or 19, like crazy phenomenal. Everyone was like, wow. Wow. And five years on from winning it, I remember bumping into him and I said, oh, I said, um, how's, how's it going? Like, like what's happened since that amazing, like accolade and the world of rock music and guitar. And he said, oh yeah, I'm still, still working on the first album. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm just not happy with it. Just not happy. And it, basically the story of his life before winning was he just wasn't quite happy enough with his work. Winning it didn't even change anything. It's like winning a Grammy didn't change anything. He, he was so stuck in perfection that he kept on chasing the golden goose. He kept on chasing the end of the rainbow and he never released a single song. And I stand back today and I think that's the problem with perfectionism. It will, you know, if if you and anyone listen to this who has this sense of, you yeah, actually, that's me. I've I've been waiting for the uh, one more, you know, in music, it's like when I get the new guitar, it's always something external to you. Like, you know, it's like a, yes. a workman when I get my my new lightweight hammer and whatever it is in our work when I get my new pen or my better notebook or, you know, or even when I've done that course, I've been I mean, once I've got my master's in writing, then I will. Become a good writer. It's BS, folks. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Because we never, ever will reach perfection. So I say to everyone in the academy, strive to be nearly perfect. Like, don't, like, strive for perfectionism, but let go of it, for God's sakes. Because if you don't let go of it, you will die never creating anything that you put out into the world to share. And it's all imperfect. Everything that anything has ever been put out in the world is always imperfect.
1: Always. it's very liberating once you realise that as well, because yeah. you, just, you just get on with it. It becomes oh, part of it. it becomes part of your job. And your friend, I mean, winning that award would have made it. 10 times worse because suddenly there's an expectation. You see those things that come out, young novelist of the year. These are the hot talents to watch. Can you imagine what that must be like, the expectation on your shoulders, you know, once you've been named as one of these kind of hot talents to watch (laughs) kind of thing?
0: I saw a thing on on, uh, Facebook the other day. Uh, Occasionally I see something decent on Facebook and there was this funny (laughs) meme about, um, does anyone, I must try to see if I can find it, but to try and it's awful trying to explain a meme, but it basically has timeline Mm. of someone's life. And it says like years, you know, eight to 16 child prodigy, Mm. um, ages, um, 16 to, to 32, everyone catches up and then ages 32 onwards, a weirdo in your home studio,
1: (laughs) It's true, isn't it? It's true. It do, you have, do you have that thing where, because at middle school, I was the one who was good at art and I was the one who was good at writing. Yeah. Uh, and then when I went to secondary school, I wasn't even in the top 10 when it came to art. And writing, everyone could write, you know, and yeah. you suddenly you suddenly think, oh, I'm not special anymore. But, right. you know, you, you, the thing is... <laughs> You know, it's one thing having people say, you're good at this, keep going, which I had. I had very good teachers mm. like that. But you have got to put the hours in. You know, you've got to. We can talk about this.
0: We're going to talk about this in the yeah. extended,
1: folks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's This is a
0: whole fascinating subject, um, which we will delve into. Let's jump into workspaces as well, because... Um, yeah. <laughs> this is an interesting one isn't it this it's interesting having talked to harriet that she she has her two zones if you like she has her writing spot and her drawing spot which is great Mm. illustration spot and i love that and i have my own dedicated studio where i'm recording this now um which is where i do my work my writing my music all the rest of it and then you know other places in different parts um you know, of the house where I where we do other hobbies or things like that. We have a puzzle table in our house now. Dedicated, of course, you do. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> we and it, do you know what it is? Do you know what's really cool about it? It's our. It's the dining table that we right. used to have when I was like four years old. Oh, that's nice. It's come oh. all the way over from is your England. name scratched
1: on the? the it's table got somewhere. my. It has. It's like it's
0: an absolute wrecked table. It's one of those beautiful art wrecked tables, and. I thought, you know, you know, you just don't want to get let go of that stuff because it has a lot of nostalgia. There's like uh, tens of thousands of meals, do you know what I mean, yeah. that happened on that table with my... And my dad passed away earlier this year, so it has even more meaning because yeah, that, that yeah. table has a lot of, you know, nostalgia for me. So, so having a space... Now, a lot of people say, oh, it's, you know, it's so nice to have your own writing studio. And, of course, a lot of people's write, writers have dreams to have their own writing space. But it's not about just having a dedicated building or a shed at the end of your garden, like Joan Harris, where you go and write every day. It's just as much about having even just a designated space, even if it's the corner of a table in your house, where is where you do your writing or, you know, that little table over there is where you do your art. Um, Because there's a lot of science behind this that says that if you create a space, which is dedicated to that one thing, when you sit in that space, you become that role.
1: Yes, I can, right. I can attest to that. Uh, I mean, I'm very lucky now. I've got an office and I've got a desk there that I use for writing. And this is the podcasting desk. Although, actually, when I'm, I'm collaborating on a project at the moment, and because we have Zoom meetings, story meetings over Zoom, I write that on this one. So it's funny. That oh, over there is for Project A and this desk is for Project B. It's funny. Yeah. Um, but uh, when I was writing on my commute, the train seat and there were certain seats that I preferred over others. Ah you know? well
0: certain seats when you sat in them you just nothing came out of really bad days of writing or it
1: had to be it had to be you know you know southwest trains and what have yeah. you, you know, you get blocks of four and blocks of two. Yeah. It had to be a block of two where okay. I would sit I would sit by the window because I'm going the whole way to Waterloo. Okay. Yeah. You didn't I'd have sit to stare by the- at anyone. Exactly. All yeah. I've got is the back of a chair in front of me. Back of, of a me, chair. And the windows. And, so and, and a
0: copy of the Metro. No. Right. No, that's, no, no, that's Wedged, no. wedged down the yeah. side of the seat. Yeah,
1: Exactly. Yeah. Like a <laughs> kind of shower curtain. Yeah. Um, and so I'm hemmed in by everyone. And I was, I was very lucky because I, I used to get on at Yule West, which I think was the last station where you could be guaranteed a seat pretty much every ah. day unless there was some you know, disaster on the trains. So yeah. I would be hemmed in all the way, headphones on, Heads yeah. down. Like, that do was it. I was in the me. zone. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Here's a and question. Was, here's a quick question. Go on, go on,
0: go on. How many times did you get the sense that the person sitting next to you was reading what you were writing?
1: <laughs> I, I had one kid say to me, he was nudging me, and I was writing, this was a film that was never made, and it was an argument between a couple, and it was very sweary and sexual. <laughs> and this guy was reading bits out, out loud, and he was loving it. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I just had to close the lid. Um, <laughs> And then coming home one night, uh, I was sat next to this drunk guy, drunk, aggressive guy who objected oh, not, not a good combo. To, to my elbows moving as I typed and he kept waking up swearing at me and threatening to smash the laptop. So I thought, okay, tonight I'm going to take the night off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just going to,
0: I'm just going to dwell on my story for now. He's but, like, I'm, but, gonna but, uh, he's, but he's going to be in it a future story and I'm going to knock him off. I saw a great... Um, again another random meme today. Uh, I it said this is this thriller thriller writers will like this one. Crime writers. It said it simply said, um, <laughs> sorry, it just makes me laugh every time I think about it. Writing because it's better than murder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like yeah. honestly. Yeah. So it's true. When, 100% you get, true. when so when when you're on the train, get in that seat. The reason why you were limited by seats as well, because on Southwest trains, a lot of them are already taken up by chewing gum. So you can't take those anyway, right? (laughs) Black, what used to be chewing gum, now it's black hole patches, nice, on the back of the jeans. Um, But there is something about that spot. It's almost like the routine of writing isn't just about writing, it's about how you write where you write when you write it's a headspace it's a headspace so I I found little spots so
1: in in my lunch break I would go to the Curzon Cinema the Curzon Soho because they had a basement there which had it was like the Star Wars cantina had all these little nooks and crannies where you could sit for an hour or more, um, and <laughs> have a cup of tea and a packet of uh, chocolate-covered raisins and or yoghurt-covered raisins when I was dieting and <laughs> sit for an hour and write. Uh, the other place was when we when we moved, when Orion moved to the new premises, they had these little work areas where you could sit down and I'd, you know, find a quiet corner. So you'd find these little places and, you, and you'd look around and you think, OK, this is the headspace, you know. And uh, once you've been there a couple of times... Your mind just goes okay. Click into gear. We're into writing mode now, so I could I could get into that. And I have the same thing when I come to my desk each morning, that desk there. Uh, whereas I, I, you know, I have the freedom now to shut that door and write. I wrote for two hours this morning, you know, and just get on with it without interruption or drunk people threatening to thump me, um, uh, occasionally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you, when so you talk it, about the Star Wars canteen.
0: Is that yeah. the scene in the first in movie? Isles. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. there's all yeah. a... so because when you said that and you said you know I'm in Soho and I go down to the basement. Yeah, and it's like the Star Wars canteen. I thought you were making a comment on the kind of seedy people that hang out at the well, basements of. <laughs> actually, you a... get you get a lot. Are...
1: You get a lot of actors, quite famous oh, actors, come down. What actually. I wanted to actually yeah.
0: ask is, was there a woman there? with three breasts.
1: Was that in Star no, Wars? No, that's not Star Wars. You no, see, that's, that's total recall. God, how did I get <laughs> that messed up?
0: <laughs> I thought, yeah, I can't imagine George Lucas would have done that. No, no, no. Sorry, no. I was just going back to nostalgia in my childhood and I just, I haven't thought about that for
1: 25, 30 years. Yeah, wretched hive of scum and villainy, but they do a nice cup of tea. Brilliant. <laughs> Are you on today
0: soho <laughs> soho is a place not so so i once what- got
1: propositioned by a prostitute in soho have i ever <laughs> told you that story no Here okay see i've started um, i've started <laughs> off on one now it was. uh so probably be This was while Robert Overlords was in post production, and I had two Christmas parties to go to. Get me. One was the visual effects company; it was their Christmas party, and then there was a publishing party across town. And I, I took a shortcut. This was like a Friday night. I took a shortcut through Soho. I'm going down, and I know all the back alleys. I was going down one of the back alleys, and this very attractive woman stepped out of the shadows and said, "Looking for a good time, mister." <laughs> And oh my god. As cool as a cucumber, I said, um, no, thank you very much and <laughs> shoved it away. <laughs> no. Like, no, thank you, Miss Patterson. No thank you. Oh, no, thank you, thank
0: you, no, thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you know, if you are walking down the back alleys of Soho, you know, I mean what do you expect, Mark? Really, really. only happened once. Yeah. That's so that's interesting. you don't have it anymore. You yeah. obviously don't get out enough. <laughs> how do we digress how do we i don't that? know i'm sorry it was the woman with the three breasts i apologize to everyone <laughs> i'm really sorry let's get back on track um yes. the next thing that we were talking about we playing with toys and they said oh no you see what am i talking about we can't do this why Go not, well, oh, do, not, do, not gr- do you not get the link no what Oh, okay you're too innocent anyway carry on everyone else is laughing their heads off on the
1: Oh, I see. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah. oh, so childish. Um, I was just going to say, look at the toys on my shelf. Although I've kept them in in the boxes sensibly now. Well, you and Linwood.
0: I mean, Linwood gave us his tour of his uh, Thunderbirds yeah. plane or something. So, what's on for people? <laughs> oh, sorry, for stuff on well, people not watching this on YouTube. What is on your? Oh, look, I can see a I can see a stormtrooper.
1: Yeah, I kind there's, of, like a kind of there's a there's a, a big stormtrooper up kind there. Kind Barbie there. sized
0: stormtrooper.
1: Barbie Sy there's a little Lego Mandalorian next to him. Uh, there's uh, an Airfix uh, Spitfire there. There's a whole selection of Star Wars figures, which, to be fair, my kids get me for Christmas and birthdays and things. Yeah. I'm I'm over the moon because I've got old Werner Herzog action figure. So because yeah. you know he was in the Mandalorian for a few episodes, and Werner Herzog is this incredible existential director and maker of documentaries who speaks like this and talks about <laughs> you know contemplates the 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 infinite you know the in infinite sadness of life, <laughs> and there he is as an action figure. Wow. Um, I've got, I've got the, uh, the, the, the thing from the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is actually a piggy bank. And I've got a couple of Brilliant. Terry Pratchett figurines up there and, oh. and more Lego, and there's more Lego over there. So yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, can, can I ask you a request, Mark? Yes. I want you, from this moment on, for the rest of the duration of the life of this podcast to speak in that voice. It's absolutely brilliant.
1: So Werner, I want to see the baby. (laughs) So Mandalorian fans will be laughing. I want to see the baby. He's great. I love Werner Uh, Herzog. He's brilliant. He's he's one of these guys who's... um, he was in the first Jack Reacher film as well, I think. I think it was the cool. first one or the second one. Is this like
0: a Hitchcock type thing where he kind of just gets in on the back of it? or
1: No, he's just he's- weirdly just... It, when he started out, it was this intense... I think he's Bavarian. Bavarian, Bavarian director hmm. who, you know, has been shot at. and Because and, uh, he used to work with Klaus Kinski, who tried to kill him. Uh, they did a film called Aguirre, Wrath of God, where they, they were... I mean... It, Herzog had to get protection to save himself from Kinski, who was off his rocker. Wow. Uh, it's, and there's a very famous clip of Mark Kermode talking to uh, Werner Herzog and someone takes a pot shot at him with an air rifle he gets shot he's bleeding and Kermit says oh my god you've been shot what's happening and he's like "No, I, that's not a real bullet I've been shot worse than that <laughs> and they just carry on with the interview it's incredible oh. it in makes our Linwood
0: Barclay moment of a guy being, <laughs> arrested. being arrested on the front of his lawn whilst we were interviewing him sound like kindergarten play really yes
1: yeah. anyway Goodness
0: workspaces madness <laughs> No, we're done with workspaces, Mark. We'll move on. We're done with. We played with our toys. <laughs> toys, okay, yes, folks. toys. Look, no, I mean, this Wait, is it. Toys, toys. This, toys. this I is just Twilight also, Zone toys.
1: episode. Tw- absolute Twilight Zone. And it I love it. Keeps me young. It keeps me young. It keeps yeah. me. You know, I've. I think not growing up is an essential part of being a creative. That's. Do you know? Do you know theory. one thing I've always loved? I've
0: loved this saying. Someone said it to me when I was about twenty-five, and I still had my Beano collection. Um, mm. They said to me don't be childish, but always be childlike. And I love that. And I think we should all, like toys aren't just for kids. Like, let's be honest, when most of us, you know, who are lucky enough to become parents, you know, we get the opportunity to pull a Lego out from from the attic or from the basement and we get to sit with our little little kids and start playing, even if it's like, you know, mega blocks. I think that's what we start with like when they're really young. But you're like, oh, I really miss this. This is like nostalgia. and, And I think that we should embrace play. I mean, it's just play just because they're kids toys. I mean, we know what's going to be the biggest selling toy this Christmas. It's going to be weird Barbie, isn't it? Right. Um, And and who's going to buy weird Barbie. It'll probably be all of the people in their thirties and and forties that went along (laughs) thinking they're taking their kids to this Barbie movie that they're going, okay, whatever. And then realize it was actually made for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so I think, you know, embrace it. Like everyone should have, I mean, look, I've got a, I've got my monkey.
1: Oh. Sits on top. Oh. He sits
0: on top. <laughs> and I've got the whole set. He's the baby. I've got the mum who's like, like big. And then the dad is takes up an entire armchair. He's what's massive. the Sorry, where
1: would you where'd you get them? What, what, what's the bought, story? Okay, that's, so that's, got, that, that
0: is a loved that is a loved That's a toy, very loved monkey. So this this okay, I don't want to I don't want to promote them on the podcast, but um I got into Jelly Cat, right? Which is right. a Gotcha. Like, there's yeah, something yeah, yeah. about jelly cats. They're really, they're, they're really fun. And, and and I just became obsessed with them. So I ended up we ended up buying a lot of jelly cat type toys. And I always wanted a monkey when I was a kid. In fact, to have one of those talking, you know, the monkey that you, you strap around your neck yeah, and, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it I had the squeak. And I used to do ventriloquism <laughs> as a kid. Um, <laughs> uh, that was me. Another piece um, of the puzzle falls into place. I know, right? <laughs> and so I always wanted a monkey as a pet growing up. So the next best thing was. Um, getting monkey kind of do you know what they call these in Canada and in America people in England are you ready for this we call them in England cuddly toys right in in, in North America they call them stuffies
1: stuffies yeah stuffies i'd never heard, heard that,
0: that, that. before yeah so this is my stuffy and i've got a yeah i've got a collection of them um but for me it kind of it does it keeps you kind of young it keeps you connected to that innocence of youth. And also for me, you know what it does for me, Mark, is it keeps me connected to that reminder that we have infinite imagination. Mm. As adults, we, we, we get, we get our imagination crushed by society, by teachers that tell us we shouldn't do that. We don't dream big. And, and I've always remained connected about dreaming big, thinking of crazy ideas and big stuff. And, and that's why I have little toys kind of dotted around the house. Um, it's to keep to keep reminding me. I've got a big jar of marbles. I mean look, there's 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 a little jar there. I've got a I, massive I've been jar. looking for those. I have not those. They, right. I won those off you at school <laughs> in the alley. <laughs> my China big un. But um but again, marbles for me go back that goes back to my youth where you'd rush out at playtime because some bloke, I remember Michael Litton if you're still there Michael, he was the marble king. He he would always have these he was the conquer king and the marble king. He'd crush your conquers. like he'd bake them, and Whoa. and then he was he'd brilliant at marbles. He would win, he would win all. The, and if people are wondering
1: what I'm talking did about, did you here, did you play marbles over a drain? You know we those drain covers. played marbles over drain
0: covers. We had oh, in our school. What block, were we thinking? We had. the... <laughs> It's St. Peter's, St. Peter's in, um, yeah, I know. look, here we are. We made it. Like, yeah, we're guys, fine. out of date yoghurt, six Asbestos. months. So Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Eat that yoghurt in the fridge from last year. But, um, but the point is, the point is, is that um, Marvel's connects me back to my youth. Because in our primary school, elementary school, we had this most amazing, like, um, edge of the playground that was like trees and mud. And it would bake the mud would bake in all the kids would walk on it. And so there was all these intricate little places your marble would get stuck behind tree right. roots and stuff. Yeah, and it'd get yeah. in gullies. And if you got in the gully, you were done for because they'd just roll their china big in and get you. I mean, I don't know if who else played marbles, but for me, that I mean, I think once, unfortunately, one kid swallowed one or choked on one, and then it was like banned. And one kid hurt their thumb on playing Conkers, banned. And some kid got stuck on Do you remember those um Red Devils? Do you remember those, the jawbreakers? They were like gosh, they were were like cinnamon. They were dangerous. They They were like dangerous, but serious joking (laughs) hazards. Yeah, it's just like, (laughs) but I think we should bring back marbles. I don't know if you can even play them at school now, but. I don't even know if North America, maybe people in North America can tell me, do they understand anything I'm saying today? Because <laughs> in England, this was like a tradition in the school playgrounds, playing marbles. Yeah. It was like and you'd, yeah. you'd win marbles off each other. And it was like did my you, childhood life.
1: Did you play flickies with cards? I was good at that. No. Right. No, so, you know, there's Star Wars bubblegum cards and, and oh, panini yeah. training cards. Yeah, yeah, training. yeah. So we'd go in the uh, the shelter you know, those shelters they, they built for children. And yeah. you'd stand at one end and you'd flip cards and whoever got closest to the wall got both cards. Oh. And i tell you what, I had a wrist Were action like right no the one else. else. Oh, I was a man at that. Yeah. You, had, you yeah. had the best wrist in the hospital.
0: <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh my gosh. We could do a whole podcast on this. Yes, this is supposed nostalgia. to be a writing podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay, how do we get back? Okay, I'll tell you how we get back, folks. I'm going to put you out of your misery and tell you that... In the extended version, yeah, it gets even better, right? Gets even better. We're going to play with toys. No, what we're going to do is not extended is we're going to actually deep dive on something that we think is really, really important. And this is something that Mark was discussing with Harriet about this idea of the importance of why as writers we need to get into the habit of writing regularly in the same way that a musician does scales. And Harriet said, "You know, I have to keep drawing to keep good at it we're going to deep dive on this, and we're going to start to reveal some of the really important reasons as to why it's not a something that you should be thinking about doing it's an absolute must if you want Such. to become the best writer you can absolutely be and and not just become a prolific writer but a writer that writes for the best of the rest of their life and puts out." a life work of books. So we're really going to go deep on this. So do join us in the extended join, join John Day. who will be listening, John, our new patron of the week. If you would like to listen to the extended, there are two ways you can do it. Firstly, come to the Academy, academy academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and join the VIP list. And to sign up for the Academy, when you're in the Academy, you get access to all of these extended episodes, plus a ton more, or join up to become a patron in this podcast, which we very much appreciate as well. So, Um, we'll look forward to seeing you on the other side. So before we dive into the wins, I will just say that if anyone is struggling with their writing, getting their writing habits, trying to understand the logic behind how do you measure how you write? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Why should you be writing regularly? You have to go and listen to the extended. There's some really important stuff we discussed Very in real detail. Stuff. It's like it's gold dust, folks. So do do sign up um, to become a patron or join the academy to get this kind of level of depth of uh, of analysis about how this will change your life as a writer. It's really important stuff. Really, really important stuff. So, Mark, on the other end of the spectrum, let's talk about some of the wins that have happened to people
1: who've gone down that route. Written it's a great. lot. It's great. All sorts of stuff. I'm delighted that the first win of this week is from a brand new member of the Academy which is fantastic. Uh, Katie Wells has been with us just a day and she's she's already posted a win. Uh, She said, proof copy arrived. The proof copy of a book I'm hoping to self-publish on Halloween has arrived. It feels surreal to see my words imprint in a book. The words don't feel like they're mine but written by someone else which I'm not sure is a good thing or not. It is a good thing, don't worry Katie, it is a good thing. It's so weird seeing it. Um, But I did it, Katie says, I've written a book and the proof is in my hands. The imprint uh, I and a couple of other paranormal romance writers have formed also launched today she's launched an imprint uh, oh, wow. time for a cuppa to celebrate congratulations Katie that is phenomenal absolutely brilliant I mean it's the kind of you know amazing people we've got in the academy now it's just fantastic fantastic um, it, I'm not the only one with a book out this week uh, Michael Dillon who is the alter another alter ego of Mike Shackle uh, he's got a, a D.I. Simon Wise crime thriller so he does these fantasy novels science fiction novels and now mike is doing these crime novels uh second one called the killing game is out today uh and these are really really good i've i've uh i've, I've read the first one it's absolutely terrific stuff real page turning stuff so big congrats to to mike with that so it's the killing game by michael dylan um and another uh uh, uh bxp member on the facebook group mel melsa she's got a She just had a cover reveal for her science fiction novel, Refractions, which is coming on the 16th of November from Storm Publishing. We did a deep dive with Storm Publishing earlier in the year as well. So congrats to Mel on that. that. And last, but by no means least... Um, the wonderful uh, uh, Sarah Moorhead, um, who was on last week's episode, so memorably. We, it was a post by Steve Gowland, actually, who's, again, member of the uh, the BXP team. Uh, he said, last night was a fantastic evening of firsts. Sarah Moorhead did a book signing at the Old Carnage Library in Liverpool, uh, attended by, again, some Academy members, in, uh, not Academy, uh, BXP members, including Tommy Dunn. Uh, and over 80 people turned up. That's actually... Wow. Phenomenal evening for Sarah. And Sarah's book, uh, The Treatment, has been shooting up all sorts of uh Kindle charts and doing really, really well. She was mentioned in The Guardian at the weekend. Whoa. Just brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. <sighs> so it's just great to see so much good news out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, folks, if you've got any good news to share with us, do let us know Um, and uh, pop along to the website. We've got a contact form there where you can send us a message. Mark and I do read every message that we get and we do try to respond if we can. Um, Whilst you're on the website, click on the newsletter tab and pop your name and email address in there, and you'll get a weekly reminder of all the great new podcasts we've got coming up, what we've learned, what you can learn from it, direct links to where you can listen to it. Um, That's the newsletter tab. And um, if you'd like to do the 200 word challenge, which was very prevalent in our extended edition today, um, pop along to 200wordchallenge.com. It's a free challenge. See if you can write 200 words a day for seven consecutive days and then let it grow and see what happens. See where those uh, words are increased to. Uh, Mark, what
1: about socials? Social media, we are Bestseller Experiment on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, and threads. We are at BestsellerXP. Uh, drop us a line, come and say hello, share share your wins, share your good news, all that good stuff. Um, And if you've enjoyed this episode, if you've been inspired by Harriet or any of the guests that we've had on the podcast, give us a rating, give us a review wherever you get your podcast from. That stuff really makes a huge difference, makes us more visible to people like you and helps make the world a better place. And will lead eventually, I think, to world peace and universal harmony where we all go out into space and live forever. Absolutely. Just saying, that's what, And I that, that means we could do could the do.
0: podcast for like an infinite number of episodes as well, which would be kind of cool. We should also <laughs> mention as well, we are on, we're on YouTube. I just saw Mark's face. What? Um, I just, I just saw our, um, as well, I should mention that we are, I know a lot of people don't know this. We're on YouTube. We record yeah. every episode and they're all up there for, for quite a long time now. Um, if you want to find us on YouTube, just pop over to YouTube and type in at best-seller experiment, I believe. and then Yeah, your, link your in the comments. show notes. It's yeah. all there. So um, do pop along if you want to see Mark's uh, collection of toys in the background there. It's worth, <laughs> that's worth the price <laughs> of admission alone, I think. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. But listen, folks, we hope you've been inspired this week. Do join us uh, next week for another exciting episode. And more importantly, because... It's now September. September is Share the Bestseller Experiment Podcast Month. Which is, is it? It's, it, it's, it is. It's come um, around. It's again. funny that it's come around <laughs> just after last month's Share the Bestseller Experiment Podcast. So please, folks, the, the the goal is every single day you meet some random stranger on a train, you go and fill up your car with petrol, uh, you go to your grocery store and buy. It, just tell them about the bestseller experiment, and um, yeah, and then we we can. If you're share at a wedding.
1: Up. And someone says, "Does anyone have a reason?" Just saying, like, I, oh no, wait, I was just listening to the bestseller Actually, podcast. Yeah. Do
0: you know what? That could be really funny. Okay, <laughs> Don't good do challenge. For Don't everyone. do that. No, no, but like, like in the most inappropriate situations. Because, uh, you know, I saw a really funny video on YouTube and it, it's not really funny because it's of where cars have had kind of bad accidents and people oh. driving past the cars going, you can't park there. <laughs> <laughs> it's become a thing and people are taking these videos. That's that's not nice. What no. we're saying, what we should, should say is that whenever you whenever you get a chance, randomly, this coming? <laughs> whenever you get a chance randomly, when anyone asks, has anyone got anything else to say, you know, like at a wedding or, you know, uh just say yeah uh, bestseller experiment podcast is awesome and and if you write in and tell us when you did it we're going to give you a shout out on the podcast it has to be like um something funny or or different so yeah challenge us that'd be great all right folks listen have a great writing week and we will speak to you again next week it's goodbye from mark one
1: bonus points for a funeral and it's goodbye from mark two goodbye (laughs) (laughs) come straight to hell for that (laughs) while we (laughs) started